You can meet and hear Hank Hanegraaff, Hans Feeney, Scott Klusendorf, Craig Parton, Will Whedon, Angus Manoj, and Jonathan Fisk at the 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 8th and Saturday, June 9th in Collinsville, Illinois. Collinsville is 15 miles east of St. Louis. Early bird registration is $110. For more information, visit issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 8th and 9th in Collinsville, Illinois. You just can't beat Oprah with these pesky little things called facts. Facts don't work for the Oprah audience. Story works. I know the future. The prophetic words given in scripture are very comforting. And I don't need these modern day prophets. I have the apostles and prophets that wrote this stuff down in scripture. Faith is still believing that God will make good on his promises because he has in the past and he is a faithful God. Confessional Lutheran Deadheads love issues, etc. My dad had a little piece of wisdom. He had a lot of wisdom to impart to me. He still does. But one of the things that I've repeated to my kids many times in the course of my career as a father, as far as it goes, is one of the things that he taught me about money. He said, if money can solve a problem, it isn't a problem. And that sounds kind of hard to believe if money's your problem, but if all it takes is money to solve a problem, it's not really a problem if you can either buy your way in or out of some sort of a situation. That's true. Now, it might not be easy to find the money to solve that problem, but there are problems. And what he was trying to teach me is there are problems in this world, real problems, that all the money in the world can't help you. Those are the real problems that you probably should concern yourself with. And he was absolutely right. And it's proven itself again and again and again, knowing that the Lord provides. If all he needs to provide is money to solve a problem, the Lord has a lot of money to provide All we have to do usually is simply ask. And why do we fail to do that? Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're coming to you live on this Wednesday afternoon, January the 24th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be talking about money, about prudence and finances and diligence. In part 13 of our series, Raising Christian Children in an Age of Secular Progressivism, Pastor Jonathan Fisk will be our guest for that. Then in Hour 2 of Issues, etc., Pastor Brian Wolfmiller will join us. We're continuing our series on introducing the books of the Bible, book number three, Leviticus, one that when you start reading it, you get really glassy-eyed and tired and ready to take a nap, but there's a lot of very good stuff in there. You just have to know where to look and have to dig a little bit. We'll be doing that in Hour 2 of Issues, etc. Feel free to join us over the next two hours with your questions or your comments. Our call-in number, one eight seven seven six two three my ie Our in-studio email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Our Twitter address, at issuesetc. And the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8382. Joining us for the 13th part of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. He's host of a radio program called Sharper Iron. He's author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break, as often as possible. Jonathan, welcome back. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. So someone says to you, I don't want my kids to make 
money the focus of their lives. And I also don't want my kids to worry about money. They're not really sure what they should be teaching their kids about money. But how do you respond to that objection initially? I don't want them to worry, and I don't want them to focus on it the rest of their life. I think that's one of the reasons you need to teach them. I mean, if I can start there, because the natural thing that fallen man will do by himself is worry about money and focus on money. It's what our our natural idolatry will cling to, not because we just love money for money's sake, but what you said in the introduction, it fixes a whole lot of problems. And so I get this native belief that if I can just have more of X, then everything will be fine. And that's what we kind of arise from within. So to have a child or an individual human, and we can even talk about adults here in, in that regard, be free from the love and fear of money means learning about the the proper use, the proper vocation, the proper design of money. The place to start, though, I mean, where your question really points us to, and I hadn't planned on talking about this, but it is, it is spot on, is the Lord's Prayer and the fourth petition and the recognition that our Lord God gives daily bread to the wicked and the just alike. And that the needs of his creation are cared for, the sparrows and the flowers. I mean, he has a plan to provide for us. So if you're afraid of uh, not having enough money, uh, this is ultimately a lack of fear of God and requires repentance. If you are hungering for more than you have, this is a, a lack of love for God and requires repentance. And the task with children, of course, is to teach them to fear, love, and trust in God above all things as sinners through repentance and through Christ. And so part of that then really, when we, if we can bring it back to just money for a second and, and out of the God scenario, is, is recognizing that this prayer for daily bread is connected to everything about this body and life, everything about who we are made to be in this created order, everything about this first article. And that thing, that first article world, this creation, it's good. It's a good thing. God made it so. And so part of Christian faith is awakening to, to understand or see that. And then embracing it for what it is as the tool that it is. And then that's where then money ceases to be the thing that I must fear or love, although I'm certainly going to be tempted by that. But it's a tool. It's a tool uh, for, and one of the best ways even to defining money is kind of tough. I don't know where, I've been, as I've been following some of the Bitcoin stuff, and guys are talking about the philosophy of money and what is money. And even Try to define it. What's money? And one of the best answers I've had is it's, it's work that you've stored. <laughs> you know, I have created value by working. And now I've stored it and society recognizes that I've stored it and I can bring it back somewhere else. Well, that's a really good thing. Yeah. And so to, to teach uh, us to, to see work, having value stored as being something that is worth pursuing, that it's worth sharing, that it allows me to fix not just my problems, but other people's problems. But see, this, this thing gets to a little bit, keeping that money in its place as the tool that it is. Uh, and, you know, it, only a fool would worship his tools. Uh, tools are there for a, a purpose that's it, only a tool will just stare at his tools, too, right? It's there to do some other thing. So to teach money, especially to ch children, is uh, to aim for teaching them what this tool is good for and then to respect it, kind of like teaching uh, firearms or whatnot. I, I never respected guns until I shot one. Once I shot one, I ceased to fear it so much but I respected it a whole lot more. And so money kind of has the same edge to it. So we often hear pastors say, well, Jesus talked about money more than any other single subject. What are they trying to get at? 
or what are they what are they saying and what's your response yeah that usually is how they start stewardship sermons where they try to get you to give more money to church right and i I think they're they're wrong they're misunderstanding even the times jesus does talk about money jesus talked about himself being the son of god i think more than anything else that he talked about Uh, but he does call out our idolatry of money and he does put some of the salvation parables into the language of money so just think about uh, the parable of the lost coin Well, okay, I guess you could say that's Jesus talking about money. But no, it's not. It's Jesus talking about him finding something of value and choosing to save it because he loves it, right? And and then heaven rejoicing on its side. So there's there's a danger in that that language about, you know, Jesus taught all this stuff about money, so we need to go to Jesus because he's going to tell us about money. Well, yes and no. Most of what Jesus has to say about money is is dangerous if you put it in the wrong place. If if you give an idol uh, your your idolatry to it, if it becomes the god you would have instead of the true god, you cannot serve both God and Mammon, right? And this present age at the same time. And so there, there's even as we start talking about this, the reason I I, I wanted to bring up that quote is because there's a danger in thinking that I teach my children about money by teaching them what Jesus says about money. Well, yes, there's, there is that, but you also have to, if you're going to teach your children about how to handle money, how to be fiscally responsible, how to use money for the good, well, the Bible, at least in the New Testament, doesn't care much. It doesn't just give you a lot of information on that. There's some in the Proverbs, to be sure. Uh, but it's dangerous to think like Jesus is going to be my kind of account financier teacher. That's not really what the scriptures are concerned about. Rather, we're to use the the wisdom that we have in Proverbs and our reason to understand the created order, and all the while, under that daily bread reality, trusting that this is a tool of that created order, uh, rather than putting it in the place of Christ, Yeah, in the, in the place of uh, what we would fear, love, and trust. So, there are several passages that we want to deal with here, at least initially, on the subject, and and that has to do with, the first one is very stark. Jesus simply is making a contrast and saying, it is one or the other. He seems to recognize that money is a major temptation for his disciples. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Why is that a good place to begin? Well, we kind of already did it with your opening question, but it's a good place to, to locate it in a scriptural passage. Remember that Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus taking the Ten Commandments and kind of putting your your neck in their jaws and just grinding the screws down and closing in on you so that uh, uh, so that you have no way to escape from their condemnation of you. So it's important to see this is in the middle of that, and he has basically brought you as a teacher to the point where he's condemning you with this phrase and say, look, you, you as a human— do want to do this. You want to say, I'm going to, I'm going to love God and I'm going to love this life. And he's saying, as he will say in in, uh, John, St. John says, no, you can't do that. Uh, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You only have one or the other. Now the Christian in us, hears this law and is like, oh man, that's good. I really want to love God. Uh, It's important to recognize though, that that, that desire awakened by faith has to flow out of me acknowledging I don't. I don't love God. I try to serve money. And that Jesus is going to, therefore, be constantly condemning my tendency. That's a good place, concupiscence, to use the old word, right? That's a good place to open because, again, it puts money in a place where we have to acknowledge from the start, I'm going to worry about this too much. I'm going to want this too much. 
and all of my decisions trying to learn from the scriptures how to be wise about it, all of my decisions trying to learn from kind of reasonable uh, study of economy how to be wise about it, they have to always be under my recognition at the end of the day. I can do all that I want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mismanage it in my heart. I can do all that I want. I'm going to not be able to grow it in my bank account if God doesn't just give it to me, right? And so, in a sense, to come back to something you made me think of earlier, you know, the cattle on the thousand hills are his. Uh, It's all his. And that's really kind of the point of not serving two masters. Who's the master of this thing? If he wants you to have big barns with food in them, he's going to give them to you. And, And if he doesn't, he won't. But that's not a reason to not learn to take care of those barns or to understand the value of those barns uh, to your neighbor, which again, putting putting our understanding of money and, and what we'll call prudence and diligence here a little bit, putting it in that realm of for the neighbor is sort of what Jesus is getting at here, while not letting us off the hook that you know we're never going to perfectly do this. So money, I always have taught my parishioners that money makes a lousy God. Hmm. And I, I didn't get that idea for myself. I got it from Ecclesiastes 510. Hmm. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor will he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Now, what does that mean, the love of money? That's a pretty strong idea. There. Well, if you take it in this context again, remember that Solomon in writing Ecclesiastes says, I decided to use the wealth I inherited from my dad to do everything that I felt like doing as far and as hard and as fast as I could. And at the end of the day, it kind of sucked. Now, <laughs> I did it all and it mostly ruined my life. And he's, he's summarizing that here then in letting this mammon or this money word stand for uh, everything else that money can buy, all the problems that it can fix. If I have all the money in the world, it doesn't fix all of my problems. I might be able to get dinner, but I'm not really necessarily even satisfied with that anymore. I got new problems. Well, it, I, I, another one that comes to mind is you know, people will say money can't make you happy. And, and to me, I think, yeah, it can. Money can make you really, really happy. But there's a lot more to life than happy. Oh, that's right, too. I mean, that's a whole other issue. Maybe we should do a show on teaching kids <laughs> to be happy because we, we spend too much time trying, I think, rather than just uh, teaching them to be sad, which is something that is <laughs> worth learning how to do and to do well. Uh, yeah, my, money can make you happy for a moment. Uh, it, can, it can give you something that you really like, and those things can, can bring you pleasure. Yeah. But because we live in a fallen world, a world in which things decay, in which things break. Even the best thing I can buy is not going to last, right? It's going to turn to sand eventually. It is a fact that whatever satisfied me today will not satisfy me tomorrow. The meal that I bought that I love so much, it now, I, I, I got to flush it away. I don't even want to look at it anymore, right? Because, and I need something more. And so in this kind of, again, if we're asking this in the, in, the, in the realm of teaching our children to move from recognize I can't serve God in money, well, how do, I, how do I understand that as a rational kind of knowledge? Well, to know that whatever I'm seeking from my income or with my income is going to be incomplete. It's not going to satisfy by itself. At best, it's a tool. And this, this isn't necessarily where we want to go, but... <clears throat> One of the things I've heard from people who are wealthy is they get so tired of buying themselves stuff that they can't stand it. But what they, they do get a lot of pleasure out of is is buying things for other people and sharing what they have. Well, that's a recognition that the income itself is, is nothing that without other humans, <laughs> all these gifts are are useless, right? And so to, to even see uh, your, your family, 
your friends, your your civilization that you live in as the reason you would work in the first place. Uh, it brings us back to what vocation is really, really all about. That too, though, can fall into this realm of mammon and this world and this present life, which is also going to decay and not satisfy. We can only be satisfied with gifts that God gives. And in that sense, money will bring you satisfaction when it is acknowledged that this money is a gift from God to be used as he would have me use it. And in that sense, it's very satisfying to invest in something and have it pay off. That's very satisfying. When I can acknowledge its place, its place in the created order. The moment I would seek my identity, my value from these things, now I'm just on that that ever-present road to the grave that can only end in misery. A couple more thoughts here and then one more passage. Luther's famous for talking about what is your God, and he says, well, that upon which you lay your hope, that for which you hope, mm. is your God. And I tend to think of it with, with, with regard to money in a slightly different way, and that is that which helps you sleep at night. What takes your worries away? Yeah. And helps you just go to bed at night and say, all is right with the world. And so often in my case, that's money. Yeah. It's a different twist on on Luther's thoughts there, but it kind of gives me a peace of mind there. Uh-huh. I've I've had a lot of change in my life the last uh, three months or so, a lot of challenges, and nothing, nothing has disturbed my sleep so much as the fact that I've had to put a new deck on my house, and that I'm spending more money than I want to on this deck, and that it's been difficult to get the deck completed, and that once it does get completed, I'm going to have to sign and owe something. That has weighed on me far more than the education of my children in the most holy faith. Now, that's my sin at work, mm-hmm. yeah? Uh, it, it is It is a terrifying thing to behold how much my flesh craves that security to be found in something which, flip it on the other side, ends up to being basically digits in a computer somewhere that somebody says is work that I've done that I still have, that I may or may not actually ever have, you know, if the economy collapses or whatever, all that kind of stuff. But you're right, though. So, we, when we are misusing money, we are using it as a form of, of certainty and security. And this is where that petition of the Lord's Prayer about daily bread is such a convicting and lost faith for us uh, and, and becomes the law again to us uh, to say to us <laughs> as the, put, I'm going to step back and throw it into the story uh, from the Old Testament as the children of Israel are literally getting daily bread from God in the in the wilderness like every day they get bread and they know they're going to get more bread tomorrow because he's just doing this and they can't help themselves they go out and let's put some in a basket let's just keep it but, and I don't think that this is just a metaphorical story, but the fact that that bread turns to rot the next day kind of shows us where uh, the ultimate trust we have in this, how good it really is, how fleeting that trust really is, how fast it can all go away, which in the, in the truth of law and gospel is meant to convict us, is meant to kill us. And there is no like, I overcome this. There is, you're forgiven for this. So again, to start the conversation there, I think, is, is the most valuable place, that everything we would teach our children about money begins with being forgiven for our idolatry of it. Now that I know my idol, and now that I know that I would prefer to use the law as my God, really, is a certain sense, because the money is about the law. Uh, it, now let's chain that law in the corner and try to use it the way it's supposed to be used. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part 13 of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. Talk about prudence and teaching finances. He's host of a radio show 
Cold Sharper Iron, an author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often As Possible. When we come back, one more warning. You know what it is. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Listening to God's Word, daily prayers, frequent and faithful reception of the Eucharist, confession of sins and absolution, good works. Learn more about the life of Lutheran piety in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January. Thank, praise, serve, and obey. Recover the joys of piety. It's written by regular guest, Pastor Will Whedon. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call 1-800-325-3040. Thank, praise, serve, and obey. Have you been too busy to get your associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree? Concordia University, Wisconsin offers 50 online educational options. Find out more at issuesetc.org. Click the Concordia University online logo and enter the program code ISSUES to waive your application fee. Concordia University, Wisconsin is here to strengthen and support the church. Lifelong Lutheran Learning. Issuesetc.org and click Concordia University, Wisconsin online. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. When your family gathered around Die Hard this Christmas, did all the Plutarch make you feel like benighted schlubs? Maybe you need a classical education. St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois, is offering a free primer on the what's, why's, and how's of classical education on Sunday, January 28th. The Reverend Dr. Thomas Korchok of Concordia University, Chicago, will preach for divine services at 745 and 10 and speak at noon on how classical education truly prepares children for the future. Lunch and a school open house are included. Join Dr. Korchok at St. Paul Hamill, Greater St. Louis's only classical Lutheran school, to learn about benefits of a classical education. Find us at stpaulhamill.org. My family is lost to me. They could not bear the hurt to see the state their boy is in for lack of honest work. Welcome back to Issues Etc. It's part 13 of our series on teaching our children in an age of secular progressivism, teaching them today prudence and finances. Pastor Fisk is our guest. Jonathan, one more warning. This is the one that everybody knows, or at least they know kind of a garbled version of it. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And here's the real part that really will set your heart a-quivering. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith Hmm. and pierced themselves with many pangs. Yeah, and you mentioned the garbled, you know, that money is the root of all evil. No, that's not actually it. Uh, I'm the root of all evil. It's my my idolatry of myself, which would lead me to idolize money, that makes money also a root of many evils, a, a distraction from from the truth and from the good. But like you said, the the threat that this idolatry, which we were just talking about, and you know, I've now confessed several times here, it, it is dangerous enough that it can destroy my faith. That if I cease to 
respect money for what it really is by trying to make it be something it's not, I can thereby cease to fear, love, and trust in God at all. And that is a, a, an important warning and one that we got to ask, you know, how do I help my child, my son, my daughter, grow up as a person which must engage this, it, who, who is going to want money, who is going to worry about not having money? How do I teach them that faith and life and self-control that, again, sees it for what it is, the tool that can do much good, but but also, uh, like any tool when made an idol, the, the idol that can do much much evil and be caught, you know, if money can fix a problem, it can cause problems <laughs> by, by, by having it and by, well, by using it for evil things. It causes far more than it ever fixes. It can fix a few, but yeah. it really causes far more problems yeah. than it fixes. Okay. So this concept in the scriptures of the lazy man or the word you're using here is the sluggard. That yeah, really yeah. sounds like what it is. Take us into that idea. Well, it gets back to, so what is money? Trying to, to define money as, again, work or value that has been stored by mutual agreement of us as a civilization. I mean, the, the paper in your wallet is not not it's not worth the paper that it's printed on. The credit card in your wallet is not worth the plastic that it's on. It is a store of value that we have as people agreed to kind of recognize. Someone else did work and then contributed to society, and now he's got some numbers that say how much he's contributed to society. And then I'll recognize those numbers, and he can transfer those numbers to me. So really, it's it's not about money. It's about work. It's about contributing value to society. And in that, then, the language of the Proverbs, distinguishing between the sluggard and the diligent, is is kind of the place where, as I want to teach my children about money, the thing I want them to focus on as what's really behind this tool, what, what its purpose is, and the thing that I don't want them to become. I mean, why, why do people have a love of money? Why do I want to be really rich? Right? I want to be really rich and retire, so what? So I can do nothing. So I can be a sluggard. Do what but, I want. Yeah, yeah. I'd be a sluggard, though. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe it is like go start a company that helps the world dig wells or something. But for most of us, the way we think, I mean, why do you look forward to the weekend, right? Is it so you can do all that work you had to do that you didn't get done during the week? No, you want to do nothing, right? And, and that that sluggard within us, which is in all of us, right? That's sloth. We talked about the, the virtues and the vices last week, two weeks ago. That danger is the love of money in many ways. I want to not have to work anymore. I want to have so much value stored that I no longer have to provide value. And it's that problem that's the bigger deal than any kind of like uh, uh, platonic love of this paper in my wallet. Nobody actually has that. So when Proverbs thirteen four says the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, like follow this. This is exactly what Paul was saying about the uh, excuse me what what, uh, what Solomon was saying before about how you'll, you're not going to be satisfied with the money that you do have. The sluggard uh, is is the person who is so desiring to have nothing but pleasure all the time that there is no more pleasure, that he cannot even imagine good anymore because he wants to avoid the thing that is good, like a good work. Whereas the soul of the diligent is richly supplied, uh, Proverbs 13, 4 says again. And so now we're distinguishing between the sluggard who wants to not work and the diligent who believes in duty, who believes that there is a work which is a good work, who believes that labor 
is not necessarily a bad thing, but is in fact there to fulfill uh, not just an obligation, that's sort of a heavy word, uh, but but to fulfill a a role or an office that God has created for each of us in, in various diversities so that we would, as civilization, as community, as people, be with and work with each other and serve each other, right? So so diligence is is to see that that's what life is ultimately about and to pursue it. And so once I'm now pursuing my work for the sake of what it can contribute and can say for what it can, can give, as the proverb says here, you know, you're richly supplied. People are going to want to buy that. There's value in good work in the first place. But then on top of that, it is a more rewarding thing than simply striving to work so I don't have to work anymore. One of the things that, oh, it bothers me, honestly, every time I hear someone say, oh, it's Friday, can't wait for the weekend, it bothers me. It's like, why do I, why do we hate work so much? I don't want to live in a world where I hate what I do, you know, and I don't think that's about my job, right? That's about this, this mentality we've, we've gotten. And some of it's Americanism and some of it is that work is hard and it's got thorns and thistles because we fell, but a right use of, of money, a right use of labor is rediscovering the value of diligence and wanting to work because work is good. Granted, it's in a fallen condition. The Proverbs are, are very much kind of being aware of both the fallen condition, but also of the order that ought to be there. So don't take what I said too far. We're just kind of getting started here. But the sluggard is the one who wants to not work. And in the end, that thing he thinks he wants doesn't even satisfy him. The diligent does what his office, what his vocation says he must do and has more than enough supply. Daily bread is is provided and, and beyond. I am thinking here about our first parents before the fall, mm. they were given work to do. I mean, it even says it in kind of offhanded way. He put them in the garden to tend it and to keep it. They were getting up in the morning. Yeah, They had stuff to do in yeah. that garden. They weren't just taking long walks, holding hands. And I'm sure some of that took place. But for the most part, man was created even before the fall to be busy and to do things. Yeah. Useful things. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Genesis 1 through 3 teaches so much. One of my favorite connection points there is that before there's a curse, there's there's a blessing. And the blessing is till the soil, basically, till the garden, steward the earth, and uh, make some babies, you know, uh, fill the earth, procreate. And then the curse comes along and it curses both of those blessings. The procreation is going to come with pain now. There's going to be a struggle between woman and man. And the earth is going to produce thorns and kill you. And so... We experience the blessings of God through the curse, through the cursed version of it. But it doesn't take away the fact that those blessings are there and and they're what we're made for. Now, with this, though, so again, if we're going to talk about teaching our children to rightly handle money, you want to teach my child not to be afraid that he won't have uh, food on the table. Diligence is sort of the thing I want to aim to teach, to be diligent to the task that your hand finds to do. And Proverbs 24 picks up on this sluggard language and, and teaches it by inverse, by warning you about the sluggard. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So yeah, yeah, if your goal is to never do anything of value, then expect to have nothing of value. Right? Expect for yourself to be basically a blight on society. And if you really want to have food on the table, then find something valuable to do. 
something to contribute. Now, that doesn't mean follow your heart's desire and expect the world to pay you for it. If, if, you, if, you, <laughs> if you really want to be a singer, but you can't sing, well, I'm sorry, you're not going to make a living doing it. And even if you're good, you're probably going to have a hard time making a living doing it. So that's not the point. But the point is that there is work to be done, which is of value to others. And so part of teaching Christians about money is more about teaching them to value valuable work and to be diligent to that task and to aspire to be a contributor to the society in which they dwell, right? Kind of getting into Jeremiah a little bit where he says, uh, God says through Jeremiah, you know, people, when you're in exile, pray for the city you live in, build houses there and contribute to what's going on around you because in in its benefit, you will find your own benefit. Good works are good. And we and just because we love the gospel doesn't mean we don't want to embrace what still remains of the design of creation here. And so so diligence toward tasks is part of that. We're talking about prudence and diligence. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest, host of a radio show called Sharper Iron and author of the book, Broken Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as often as possible. You can find a link to this book at our website, issuesetc.org, click Listen On Demand, or call Concordia Publishing House. If you have not read Pastor Fisk's book, Broken, you will be glad when you do. 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. On the other side of the break, we're going to continue our conversations. We talk about raising Christian children in the age of secular progressivism. We will go to, a, to Ephesians chapter 4, for some application from the Apostle. Stay tuned. Monday, Monday, Monday Must be funny In the rich man's world Monday, Monday, Monday Always Sunday In the rich man's world The prosperity gospel, godliness, Islam, abortion, religious truth claims, scientism, the centrality of justification. You can meet and hear some of your favorite guests teach on these topics at the 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 8th and Saturday, June 9th in Collinsville, Illinois. Collinsville is 15 miles east of St. Louis. Learn more at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 8th and 9th in Collinsville, Illinois. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Do you find yourself fixing the theology on store-bought greeting cards when you give them to friends and family? Put away that Sharpie. AdGruesome.com has greeting cards, art, jewelry, certificates, church banners, housewares, and all sorts of fantastic gifts that proclaim Christ crucified for us. Whether you're a value shopper or a collector, you'll find something at AdGruesome.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Answering Objections Defending the Faith, Evolution or Creation, Transgenderism and Homosexuality, 
These are some of the issues addressed at the San Antonio Biblical Worldview Conference, Saturday, February the 3rd, at Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Learn more at worldviewsa.org. This conference features issues that cetera guests Dr. Jan Lohmeyer and Pastor David J. Weber. The San Antonio Biblical Worldview Conference, Saturday, February the 3rd, worldviewsa.org. Real Reformation Radio, you're listening to Issues Etc. We Lutherans, we're never aided by following along with some other tradition's theological priorities and catchphrases. Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Heath Curtis, coordinator for stewardship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod on a Lutheran approach to stewardship. Other folks are not approaching it from our good, solid Lutheran understanding of law and gospel and vocation. There's a place to talk about this in Christianity, and we have a way of talking about stewardship as Lutherans without ever using the word stewardship, if you like. I'm going to talk to you today about your vocation in your home, in your church, in your society, and how each one of these makes a claim on you, on your presence, on your support, on your prayers— that's how we should talk about this as Lutherans. You'll find several stewardship resources at lcms.org slash stewardship, lcms.org slash stewardship. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Welkin on this Wednesday afternoon. We're talking about prudence and diligence, teaching finances to our children in an age of secular progressivism with Pastor Jonathan Fisk, host of the radio program called Sharper Iron. Jonathan, you take us into a couple passages of Ephesians. There is one here that's kind of, you have to explain it uh, before we get to some other applications. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's an interesting turn. It's not just like so that he might be able to take care of himself and his kids. Yeah. Jumps over all that. Yeah. This is one of the most condemning passages in Scripture for me. When I found it first as a 20-year-old man or so, but it continues to be. It it teaches in, in stark clarity the purpose of labor, the purpose of work, the purpose of money, we would store value of what we create in order to share that value with people who do not have. That's what it is. It's not for me. And in a perfect world, you can imagine that I, I really wouldn't have to worry about it because someone else would be doing the same thing for me. And so I would just have what I needed provided while I provide what other people need. But it's such a contrary mindset to how we actually think, right? And you would think this would read the way that our minds work. It would say the thief must no longer steal but must labor to pay his own way, right? That's what it's, but it is the honest work with your hands start to finish is about your neighbor. And then this is where the law, whenever we're talking about the law in any way, and this whole series has been, been trying to remember the goodness of the law as we would teach our children to love the law, even as it condemns them and they need to be saved from it. The law uh, is, is always about one of two things. It is about your standing with God, have no other gods, Love God's name, hear God's word, submit to God's authorities. And it's about your neighbor. Be under your neighbor when God puts him over you. Don't kill him. Marry one, not many. <laughs> don't lie, don't steal, uh, and be content with what you got. 
that relationship with the neighbor is why Luther then so often ends up talking about vocation again and in the place where you stand and, and defining your work as who you are near. So then as we put this back in this finances picture, you know, how do I teach my child about how to handle money rightly? I want to teach them have a budget. I want to teach them don't spend more than you make in. I want to teach them save for the future. But all of that is totally secondary to teaching them you are working to benefit other people. That, that's it. Yeah. And everything else you would do flows through that desire, that passion. And I want to awaken in my children that that passion, the good passion, the good passion of of the virtue of being prudent for the sake of others, being diligent for the sake of others. And this passage in Ephesians 4, again, basically just says it straight straight up. If you've become a Christian, whatever you did in the past, reorient that. And so if you're a thief, you can't be a, 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 a thief for Jesus. It doesn't work, so you got to change it, right? But whatever you do with your hands, start doing it in the mindset that it's not for you. And at least in a repentant awareness that you think it's for you and it shouldn't be. <laughs> that maybe is about the best we're ever going to get. But that repentant awareness, again, keeps money in its place. So you can start to talk about those other things like budgeting and whatnot, which does need to be dealt with because that's part of being diligent. You know, uh, pay what you owe and, and not owe more than you can pay and all that kind of stuff. You have five kids at home and a wife. Hmm. And I think many men will probably understand this simply intuitively that what gets them out of bed in the morning and into the car and to the job whether they love their work or whether they're just kind of meh about their work are those people back at the house mm-hmm. you know they it is a there's something in that relationship of responsibility and provision and protection that is highly motivating mm. to the breadwinner, so to speak. Yeah. And then there are women who, who are fulfilling that role without a husband for their kids as well. There's no doubt about that. Talk about that as not necessarily a bad thing. Remembering that my dad always kept the picture of the kids, you know, his five boys, in his office. And I think it was so he'd remember, why am I putting up with this? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, Like we we're talking about with Genesis, it's cursed so that our sin has made what was a good thing, a, a broken and a bad thing, but the work itself is not a bad thing. And when we talk about doing good with your hands for your neighbor and vocation, your vocations go in concentric rings out from you so that there are neighbors who are closer to you and there are neighbors who are farther away from you. And there is no closer neighbor to a man than his wife and then to them together than their progeny and then their children. And so there absolutely is a a value, a heavenly value, a suffering for the good value. How many times does Paul talk about suffering unjustly because that's the right thing to do? Uh, there is a value in a dead-end job that puts food on the table for the child. Not so the child can go to college and get a better job, so the child can be baptized into Christ, so the child can be brought to Christ's church and kept in the faith through his life of, of toil and trial, sluggardry and diligence combined within his flesh but saved by Jesus. That's all we actually have. And the rest of it, to be honest, is a charade. Uh, it, it, it is a phantasm. It, it is pretend. 
Because as I said earlier, we're talking about food. It doesn't matter how good a piece of food I eat today. If it's not good tomorrow, I want I want it tomorrow, right? I will always be distracted by that. I will never be satisfied with what this life gives. There's a phrase, you can't take it with you. I know you've heard that before. And one of my struggles as I personally reckoned with what the Bible teaches about procreation and, and kind of came from the other side, if I can say it that way, in that I was, I was definitely set against children for a while in my young man years. You can't take it with you applies to everything in this life that has to do with mammon. It doesn't apply to your children. Now, there's certainly the Spirit's work to convert and to sustain them in the faith, but they are a part of this creation that absolutely can go with you. <laughs> and, and Jesus intends to promise them that they will, and he intends for you to teach them that they will, right? So all of the rest of what I do with money should, should and can, and it's a good work when it serves that. So I put a roof over their head so that they can be comfortable and, and safe but I don't put a roof over their head so they can be so comfortable that they forget about their God. One of the, the things I didn't put in the Proverbs here that we, we did quote, there's a prayer called the prayer of a guru right around uh, Proverbs 30. And he prays, you know, Lord, let me be, I'm paraphrasing here, let me be neither rich nor poor, lest in my, my wealth I forget about you, lest in my poverty I curse you. Yeah. And what a what a marvelous approach to this. Give me this day my daily bread. I mean, it's effectively what it is. Uh, and so again, trying to step out from how do I learn this and into how do I teach this, uh, easier said than done. But your question again, yes, absolutely. Work, if only done, and not doing evil while you do it, if only done for the sake of providing for the family is the best good work that there is. It, it really does. It's going to serve somebody if it brings value to the rest of the world, but it can get you through those long days. It should. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. When we come back, we're going to talk about two parallel passages, one in Ephesians, one in Colossians, about making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is host of a radio program called Sharper Iron and author of the book Broken Seven Christian Rules that every Christian ought to break as often as possible. Why does it feel like everyone's always angry on social media? What exactly is a podcast? Is digital technology helping or hurting your spiritual life? How can the church harness the power of the internet to reach the lost? If these questions hit home for you, you won't want to miss this month's issue of the Lutheran Witness magazine on digital technology and the church. Subscribe today at cph.org witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran Christian perspective. Peace Evangelical Lutheran Church of Chehalis, Washington. Biblical, historic Christianity, whose source is Scripture, whose heart is the Gospel. If you're in Southwest Washington, join us for the Divine Service. You will receive Jesus, crucified and risen again for the forgiveness of your sins. We promise. For more information, call us at 360-748-4108. Essential Exercise for the Christian Mind. You're listening to Issues Etc. We have a special offer for first-time donors to Issues Etc. For any size gift during the months of January and February, 
We'll send you an autographed copy of Pastor Will Whedon's new book, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, Recover the Joys of Piety. Make your first-time contribution online at issuesetc.org or send your check to Issues Etc., Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234, and we'll send you an autographed copy of Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey. Did you make a New Year's resolution to get in shape this year? You'll find quality personal training and qualified instruction at Performance Fitness at Edwardsville. You could even work out for a full 30 days before making a commitment to join. Visit them on the web at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness can help you keep your New Year's resolution. Performance Fitness in Edwardsville. performancefitness618.com. The ant and the grasshopper, everyone knows how the story goes. How the ant was diligent, never spent anything lightly. He laboured wisely and gathered his store for tomorrow. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about teaching our children prudence and diligence in an age of secular progressivism. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. So... A couple things. You have t- pulled out two passages that say the, kind of the same thing in a slightly different mm. way because they're parallel books. Ephesians and Colossians are parallel books. This is where Paul says, look carefully how you walk then, not as unwise, but it's wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Just basic kind of general instruction there. What is the best use of the time? Well, that, that's just it, isn't it? And it is to understand the age in which we live and its passing nature, but it is not to reject that we still live in this world which is designed, which has function, which we can learn about and which we can we can use well, right? So that we can understand, again, if, if we think about money being value that is stored, that can be contributed or shifted to other places and other people, then to perceive my life as a Christian as making the best use of my hands for the sake of of others and making the best use of my finances for the sake of others, whether that's the family that is near me or whether that is the family that I can be, the friends that can be one with worldly wealth, I think is as Jesus says at one point by supporting missionaries and whatnot oversee. But I think that uh, much of our uh, conversation in the interwebs as Lutherans these days where we like to talk about the law and its uses and antinomianism and not and whatnot, I think if we were to just kind of gather around this belief that there is a way to make the best use of the time. Paul says we should do it. That kind of cuts through it like a knife, gets out of the jargon and into what we really want to see. The days are evil, but the world is not created evil. We can learn how to apply wisdom to all this stuff. And so all the bit about uh, the the virtues and vices, all the bit about teaching your children, uh, the boundaries, all of this is striving to believe that time can be made use of and it's our task to do so. What I see is and this sadly has some currency among Lutherans nowadays, is that this this world, any effort in it is essentially futile. Yeah. And since yeah. we're not people of the law, we're just kind of living this sense of futility. Why try? That's only half the truth. Yeah. I mean, it, it is futile. That's kind of the good news. Why try, <laughs> is, why try is the creed of a futilism that I don't think has any place in no, Holy Scripture. No. The, to me, the futility is is the good news that sets me free to try. 
The reason I would try is because I know I can't mess it up too bad, but I've been certainly given something to do. And so why not put all of my heart and mind and soul into this reality? Since Jesus has handled the final stakes of the matter, since he has handled what's going to be said about me on judgment day, now I don't have to worry about having a big house. I mean, I really don't. It's it's taken care of. And frankly, if, if, I, if I happen to mess up and I lose the house, I don't have to worry about that either. Now, that is, doesn't mean I should try. No, because I got my kids to worry about in the present moment, right? So yes, ultimate futility, that's really good news. The moment's not futile. Right now, you and me, Todd, talking together, this is not futility. We're not wasting time. No, we're not. We're having a conversation about truth. Or if I'm with my kids, last night my kids, we pulled out a board game. We played King Dominoes, a great little game. It takes 15 minutes, blah, blah, blah. That wasn't a waste of time either. That was a father and his children problem solving in a way of competitive spirit that they will remember the rest of their lives. And and in God willing, the, the trust and the value that's built in that, I will also funnel into my conviction about Christianity so that as much as I love the game, I love Christianity. I share these things and they grow up with that too, right? So futility, sure. I love, for me, the meaninglessness of this life is good news, but it's not a meaninglessness of this life in the present. It's of this sort of like attempt to create a total meta narrative where I will justify myself, you know, but get out of that and get in the present moment. So I got, I got excited, didn't I? Get out of that and get in the present moment. And the present moment, there is a best use of this moment, and it, it it can be perceived. And there's a bad use of this moment, right, which I should strive to fight against. I started out talking about my dad, and my dad's never lent me any money. It's always a gift. Hmm. It is. It, he doesn't loan. He yeah. gives. Yeah. And someone will say, well, that make you lazy, make you not work for it or something like that. And there's a possibility that could, could happen. But what it has taught me is that that's coming from a place where he's trying to teach me something about my heavenly father. Yeah. God never lends us yeah. anything. Yeah. He always gives yeah. unconditionally. How do we put that into the hands of our children by way of teaching them what the, the lesson that li- that money is supposed to teach us yeah. in this world? Well, that's what he's trying to do. And this is where whenever you start asking now, how do I do this specifically? You we could Christians could take different approaches. But what he was and trying we got to about do, a minute and a half. Yeah, we, what he's trying to do is was give you precisely that 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 there is money, and then there is something much greater than money, which is my love for you. One of the things I want to say with this minute and a half then is you it is wise, it is the best use of the time to teach your children not only about avoiding the love of money and the worry of money, but to recognize that they will have those things more if they don't know how to handle money. And so finding tools for helping them prepare to learn how to pay what they owe, to learn how to work and to save, to learn how to prepare for tomorrow if tomorrow comes without trusting that this will make tomorrow good. But instead, if I have extra tomorrow, I have more to share with my neighbor. There are tools for that that are important for us to to pursue and look at, whether that is the budget, whether it is how to handle a credit card, or if you still balance your checkbook, or just learn how to have an online checking. Those kinds of conversations need to happen, but they happen best in and around a recognition of money's purpose in life, uh, which is, as we've said several times now, is the value of work, which is understanding diligence as a virtue, prudence as a virtue, and serving my neighbor as the reason that I'm here. That's why I'd want to make the best use of the time. That's why I'd want to pay what I owe. That's why I want to have something to give to others. Folks, you'll find some great resources on Christian stewardship at lcms.org slash stewardship. Managing the gifts of God gives us LCMS Stewardship Ministry, lcms.org slash stewardship. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is host of a radio program called Sharper Iron and author of the book, 
broken seven Christian rules that every Christian ought to break as often as possible. Jonathan, thank you very much. Thank you. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., we're going to spend some time with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. We're doing a series on introducing the books of the Bible. Today, it will be the third book of the Bible, Leviticus. Genesis and Exodus, they read like stories. You've got story after story after story. It's very compelling page-turning stuff. Leviticus is a different animal. Leviticus is a lot of laws. What are they there for? What were they there for? And why are they still in the Bible? What do they say to us today? We'll answer that question with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller right after this. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Your children are God's good gift to you. That's why St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois, is committed to providing pre-K-8 education founded in Jesus Christ. St. Paul is the only classical Lutheran school in the St. Louis area. Matins and math, Latin and logic, orchestra and oration, catechesis and capture the flag are among the good gifts St. Paul would love to help you give your children. Learn more at school.stpaulhamill.org. Hey, Todd, what have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com. Thecleaningauthority.com.